0: Tribe. Where you at? I hope you ready, rising from the ashes, and it's getting heavy. Conspiracies, we got plenty, and some are scary. From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah. Dan Unaki, Dan and the homie, Romy. I was bugging out all the crazy things he showed me. Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies. Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe. Hey, so wake up, wake up, get it cracking, rise out the ashes. I know you got a passion. Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies, other dimensions, plenty ancient history. Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it i know you can't get enough at home at work it don't matter turn it up rising from the ashes you know what's up hey uh, rising from the ashes
1: hello everyone and welcome to
2: rising
1: from the ashes i'm daniel Nocky dan
2: i'm the homie Romy. what is good what's good in the hood homie oh just uh recovering from a uh an epidemic in my dreams. I had a gnarly (laughs) dream where I was running around with a bunch of, um, a bunch of crazy people and we were trying to fight against the technocratic takeover. It was beautiful, Uh, man.
1: You're super anti technocracy, huh?
2: (laughs) I'm just currently, I'm just still waking up from that man. Just waking up. We can very much tell. Let's, uh,
1: we're gonna make this one a little short today because we got another interview coming up later. So, um, let's uh, let's get into that RFTA news. News. news you can trust. Angel dust. So, Here we um, go. what you got for us today, homie?
2: Uh, last week I talked a little bit about uh, geophagy when I was talking about bentonite clay, and there's this type of weird. Uh, I don't know, like energy behind geophagy on the internet, when you try to look it up, um, talking about, you know, eating disorders and and nutrient deficiencies and such. But to me, in my eyes, geophagy, which is the term defined by eating non-food items or eating earth, as they call it. To -hmm. me, that sounds like an incredibly spiritual and alchemical processes that, you know, uh, that, that humans can experience, you know, connecting with earth, having these, um, these, these nutrients go into your body from not necessarily normal food sources. So I'm going to just read a, um, just a quick little, uh, excerpt on, on what the, the mainstream, um, talks about geophagy here. Okay. This is a strange article from the Encyclopedia of Arkansas. Geophagy or geophagia is a practice of consuming dirt or clay. In the United States, the practice is associated with the South, where the clay is still sold for consumption in some rural areas. Humans regularly ingest dirt in trace amounts in life every day, but most Western societies declare a, a threshold at which deliberate consumption is treated as a symptom or physiological or psycho psychiatric disease. Although geophagy is often met with disgust or dismissed as prehistoric pathology, it exists in many cultures around the world as a healthy, if not vital, practice. There are many number of reasons why humans might deliberately consume dirt, Some practitioners believe that the soil or clay affords nutrients and minerals such as iron, calcium, and potassium and otherwise be absent from our diet. And others take it medicinally to soothe gastrointestinal disorders to detoxify the body or boost the immune system. Poverty seems to be a widespread correlate of the practice. Soil acts as an indigestible placeholder when food is scarce. Geophagy is not without risk, however, as excessive consumption of earth and materials can result in vitamin deficiencies, infectious disease, lead poisoning, and bowel impaction. Geophagy has been observed among children. A lot in pregnant women in rural, cultu- rural cultures across sub-Saharan Africa, Europe, and South Asia from antiquity. Indigenous peoples of the Americas are also reported to have consumed soil. West Africans brought the practice to Americas, the American South during the slave trade. Whether slaves intended to supplement their diet or induce illnesses is uncertain, but plantation owners reviled the seemingly harmful practice. Repeat offenders were often made to wear a muzzle to keep them from indulging again. Geophagy was taboo in early American society, primarily because it was believed that intestinal parasites, a common affliction among young children, were acquired when eating dirt. Conversely, the desire to consume dirt deemed a symptom of of hookworm disease, which was prevalent in Arkansas and other parts of the South in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Wherever, sewage ran freely in the streets, and children often went without shoes. The 1880 mortality schedule for Prairie and Spring Hill townships in Drew County lists simply eating dirt as the cause of death for Mary Townsend, a seven-year-old African-American girl. Aversion to geophagy has remained largely unchanged due to the aforementioned risk associated with the practice. Yet there has been a resurgence in research surrounding it in conjunction with the hygiene hypothesis, a theory that exposure to infectious disease is integral to a child's immunological development. Testimony from contemporary dirt eaters reveals that geophagy is hardly an indiscriminate practice. On the contrary, practitioners who moved away from Arkansas reportedly seek out ways of purchasing their favorite clays from Hope county to four city raw and processed clays may also be found in stores and markets across the rural south and online so that's that that's you see there's like this uh this like kind of weird like history with it being in the slave trade supposedly uh you know and then them mm-hmm. basically bringing that practice over from africa um but you know it would make sense that the white man would just laugh at that and just be like, oh, you're eating dirt. Of course you are. But I mean, little do these, you know, unspiritual, unconnected people have any idea of the, 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 like the goodness that that can bring and, and, and the mm-hmm. importance to the people, especially if, you know, they're being neglected and, and being held under some sort of rule. Um, and so to me, I, I have healed my body with clay specifically and salt. So I, I, actually stand very strongly on the back of geophagy and and i I will continue to preach about it until proven otherwise i'll bring it up again on the show and i'm going to try to find different um sources that isn't just dirt and clay because i i think technically bark on a tree would be that maybe you know like herbal supplements seem almost like geophagy as well right Mm -hmm. because it's not food it's earth right Earth eating earth but it's 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 uh you know they're herbal supplements so there's that kind of gray line but i think it all kind of ties into ties into each other and i think geophagy itself probably is as a discriminatory type of word used to be like oh you mean the people eating dirt yeah those slums (laughs) yeah geophagia for sure
1: (laughs) all right man thank you yeah of course Uh, So we have Benjamin Balderson on the show today, which sadly Roman had to miss because he had to work. And I know he was super looking forward to that. He had been talking about it for a while. He actually, in an earlier intro, was like, have you heard this guy, Benjamin Balderson, before? He was playing a clip from him from the Crow 777 show. And I was like, yeah, he's going to be on the show next month. He's like, what? He's going to be on our show? Like, yeah, he's like, dude, that's awesome. And then he had to fucking miss it. So, uh, he, after our discussion, Benjamin told us that he would love to come back on the show. So, yes, Roman, you will get to talk to him. Yes,
2: so happy.
1: Don't worry, I didn't ruin it, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, so I'm gonna read. An article from a book called A History of White Magic by Gareth Knight. And in this chapter, this chapter is called The Coming of Christianity and the Hermetic Synthesis. Ooh. (laughs) With the development of Christianity as the dominant religion of Western civilization four strands emerged that not only play a vital part in the tradition of white magic but carry the seeds within them of what was later to become the scientific method. The four strands are Gnosticism, the Hermetic literature, Neoplatonic philosophy, and the Jewish Kabbalah. Gnosticism in broad terms was an amalgam of Christian belief with the mystery religions. The Hermetic literature reflected the impact of Christian belief on Greek philosophy and Egyptian magic. Neoplatonism was a resurgence of the ancient traditions of Greek philosophy, which had gone through a barren and skeptical period, and the Jewish Kabbalah was a mystical tradition of the Jews which produced its first written literature at this time. It is difficult to piece together an adequate picture of Gnostic belief and practice, as with Mithraism, its close association with Christianity caused it to be ranked as heresy. It was thus duly stamped out and obliterated more more effectively than most alien traditions most of these recently discovered dead sea scrolls represent gnostic beliefs however and there is also extant an important manuscript entitled the pistis sophia we may however also include the writings of pseudo dionysius Dionys- dionysius pseudo dionysius he is so called because we do n- not know his true identity, but only that he wrote under the pseudonym of Dionysus. The Areopagite, there is nothing reprehensible about this, as this was common literary practice in those days. It caused, however, his writings to be accepted as important early source material by the Christians of the Middle Ages, because Dionysus, the Ariel Pajit is recorded in the New Testament as being one of the close companions of St. Paul. In fact, pseudo-Dionysius wrote his four principal works about the year AD 500, although recent scholarship is tending to put them rather earlier, the tenor of some of his writings at any rate probably reflect Gnostic categories of thought, his most important work, which Earned him the respect of the fathers of Eastern Church was the mystical theology, but in another shorter work, the Celestial Hierarchies, he gives a detailed description of the orders of angels that mediate between God and man. The Gnostic worldview was one of the various grades of existence between God in the realm of light and man immersed in dense matter. The world of matter came under the control an influence of various archons or interdimentary beings who might be represented by astrological symbolism. The Gnosis was the knowledge of how the soul could progress through these spheres to return to its true origin, becoming once more at one with God. This was combined in the Neo-Christian Jews of Gnosticism with a very fervent and mystical religious belief that transcended the limitations of the flesh and concentrated more on the risen and ascended Jesus than on the Incarnation and crucified Christ. While St. Paul, with the Pharisaic preoccupation with guilt, emphasizes Christ crucified in his letters, it should also be borne in mind that no representations of the Crucifixion occur in the first three centuries A.D. The Pisces Sophia is a dialogue between Jesus, referred to as the Savior or the First Mystery, and disciples who have assembled with Mary Magdalene eleven years after the Crucifixion on the Mount of Olives, the twelfth year of the ministry of Jesus, in the resurrected body marks the end of his ministry on earth, and he is unfolded in a triple robe of glory, which contains all the powers of the universe, and he ascends into heaven in a great light. Thirty hours later, he returns in compassion, withdrawing his dazzling splendor from the eyes of his disciples in order to give a final teaching. This teaching, Presupposes an inner world of aeons and powers of considerable complexity, but this is not emphasized. Central to the whole is the tragic story of Pista Sophia, the world soul, an allegory which has parallels with Apuleius' story of Cupid and Psyche. The emphasis is on salvation and redemption of Pista Sophia by repentance and faith in the Savior which also serves as an example for the individual soul. Pista Sophia had originally belonged to the heavenly powers like the 12 great eons elsewhere identified as rulers of the signs of the Zodiac, but by a combination of ambition and betrayal, she had fallen into an abyss halfway between light and matter. Thus we have the human condition of being partly angel and partly beast, the object of incarnation of the savior was to enable the separation of the commingling of light and matter. I'm going to stop right there, but it goes on and on and on. Um, I just wanted to read that because it's super interesting with what we talk about with, with Benjamin Balderson, because when he talks about alchemy, you can see a lot of these types of uh, beliefs coming through and just the alchemy. You can see like the, the Delta or the triangle, the, the God, the father, the Holy spirit, you know, in this alchemy process with the separation, uh, of, of plant matter to, to get these different parts of the plant. And also, you know, there's spirit in plants. And, uh, we talk about the spirit of alcohol and how to, uh, to, to, uh, alchemize into, uh, I don't know. I'm saying that wrong probably, but we talk about these interesting concepts and, uh, it, when I was listening to it, all I could think about is, Oh, that sounds like Christianity. (laughs) So it's pretty interesting.
2: Huh? Yeah. That was very interesting, man. I definitely am bummed that I missed out on this one know we would have probably went pretty fucking deep but i'm glad that you had a great time my man i did
1: though man there's some really fascinating deep questions in here uh i ask a few different tartarian questions uh one about the great salt lakes in salt lake city utah we talk about that um and uh several other interesting questions so stay tuned for the interview uh you ready let's fucking go let's get it here we go benjamin balderson, benjamin balderson. wake wake the fuck
2: the fuck
0: oh hey everybody thank you for tuning into today's show we are rising from the ashes we as the fire tribe will rise, awaken our eyes beyond what is seemingly laid upon us. We can extend our consciousness to the further ends of our cosmic understanding. If you enjoy our and you like the content that we create, make sure to like and subscribe Share with your friends. Hello everybody, yes, please, please, please do. Also follow us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at risingftashes at yahoo.com.
1: Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Dan Unaki Dan and the homie Romy is not here today. So we're going to do this solo, but I'm here today with Benjamin Balderson, the alchemist king himself. How you doing, Ben?
3: Oh, just fantastic. I was out uh getting some man glitter on earlier. Uh ran out of firewood because uh what's yeah, man
1: so, what's man
3: glitter? That's uh that's the uh, sawdust, your chainsaw kicks all out right. and gets all in your beard and in your shirt and stuff. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah, came in and uh came in because yeah, we uh winter or the rainy season a winter hit. Like a month and a half, two months early. Um,
1: yeah. and just came
3: with a vengeance. So I was not ready.
1: Yeah. Roman lives up there too, and he he farms also. And so, uh, he was like, dude, it's like pouring rain here. And like, he had to like hurry up because, you know, they're harvesting right now. So he was like, dude, it's fucking yeah. crazy. It was, uh, it was pretty hard to get a hold of him for a good few weeks there. <laughs> he was, yeah, yeah, was MIA for a while. Uh, but yeah, right on, man. So, uh, I've heard you on a few shows and you, and you talk about alchemy and everything. Uh, one of the things that you talk about was like, uh, the alchemy of like plants, right?
3: Yes, sir. That's, uh, so when you're looking at alchemy, every as an alchemist, everything works the same on every level. Yes, it, it all works the same. The mechanics are going to be the same. So when you start your your study into this and when you're trying to talk to people, the best level is to go to the plant level because that is the simplest to understand. The most people are going to have at least uh, somewhat some knowledge of it. And then further, I like to use cannabis when I'm talking even mm-hmm. because Then with cannabis, people actually kind of understand the alchemy a little bit because they start understanding that cannabis contains CBD, it contains terpenes, it contains uh, THC. So they understand that there's multiple levels of oil inside of this plant. And Mm -hmm. after that, I can just start adding in more pieces. You know, it's not just coming out of left field entirely. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: but this is like a perfect example as uh, as above, so below, right? Like, I mean, yes, the to the T. Like, if we can figure it out on on the small scale, then it should be able to work exactly the same way on every level, right?
3: Exactly right. And it seems That's what exact- you have figured
1: out as what you have figured out is that it it does work that way, right? And you have. Yes. The answers to all that. And that's what's fascinating to me. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into the, the alchemy of the plant of marijuana. Let's go marijuana. Sure.
3: Absolutely. So when you start out and you look at a plant and you're doing alchemy, you're going to walk up and you're going to take this cannabis plant. And it's a, it's a whole plant. And mm-hmm. you look and it's a, it's a cannabis and it's beautiful Um amazing plant and you're going to take and as an alchemist you you use you want to pick your own materials as often as possible and cannabis is a highly feminine plant it produces a ton of oil compared to salt ratio um but you're going to want to pick this early in the morning before the sun even hits the plant because you understand that when you go out into any kind of a garden be it flower cannabis your vegetables When the sun first comes up, and all of a sudden there's all these amazing, delicate aromas and all these smells that hit your nose, that's literally the terpene or most volatile level burning off and filling your nose. And from that, and from like cooking and things, we can understand that what happens when that terpene level hits your system it makes your stomach start growling, it makes your mouth start watering. It starts opening up pathways and doing things in your body, getting it ready to to do other things. Um, You know, obviously you get hungry, you need to put food in there now when we're talking about food, things like that. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go and pick this before the sun hits it, trying to preserve as many of these oils as possible because your oils build up overnight and then then burn off during the day. you're going to pick it up and then go dry it. Now, when you dry it, the fir- the only thing you're trying to get it to leave is the water. So you're trying to preserve the oil in the plant, the integrity of the oil. I don't personally do that anymore. I do most of my stuff uh, fresh frozen because um, I'm doing all my stuff in negative, in negative 40 temperatures now. But uh, before that, trying to get that water out first.
1: Why, why is it that you did it in such cold temperature?
3: Um, it, because when you uh, lock it down like that, then you can pull the oil out, especially uh, I'm using a real volatile uh, uh, solvent to go in there. And it just seizes everything up. And at that temperature, it also keeps the fats and the lipids and things bound up and freeze, froze up and you're pulling out a more uh, pure oil. Mm. um, really nice. And then there's always a little bit of heat involved in most of the methods for oil extraction. And again, with this whole story that I just told about how the volatile oils, um, that obviously is harmful for them. And then we all understand that a woman scorned or the feminine side scorned never comes back. So it, The more heat that you start putting into that feminine side, the less the integrity that it has. So I try and do everything as cold as I can. Mm. But so you're going to take this plant now, and it's still a whole beautiful plant, and you're just going to crush it up and break it down. And we're going to go with the simplest extraction is just taking uh, uh, 99% alcohol uh, and using that to pull out the volatile oils and, uh, the sulfur out of the plant. So we're going to soak it, the whole plant material in this alcohol. Um, most people are going to go get, uh, uh, corn liquor, you know, your 99%, uh, corn liquor, but the one that's best to use is distilled out, uh, red wine, but that's, you know, trying to get a refined method. Um, Mm. and so just using, just using your old corn ethanol, uh, you can pull out your Everclear. You can pull out most of the plant oil. So, you let it soak in there, keep it in there, or you can run it through a distiller. Either way, you're just pulling out the sulfur and the oil and pulling it away from the biomass of the plant, the actual body. Now, once we have that done, we set aside this alcohol and oil mixture, and we're going to take this plant now and it's just going to be a soggy pile of crap it's like it doesn't even resemble the plant that it started out as it's just Mm -hmm. nasty and (laughs) you're just going to light that on fire to get to get the uh uh layer of alcohol off and then you're going to put it in a crucible and you're going to start the one of the most famous parts of uh alchemy is the nigrado process
1: what's a crucible
3: through the a uh, crucible is m- for most people just going to be a cast iron pan, oh, okay. and it's something something that can take intense heat for long periods um, without breaking down. Never use aluminum ever. Uh, it's going to even a even a stainless steel pan, unless it's super nice, is really going to take a beating because the nigrado process. You're going to find out. You find out why. Uh, you know. And some people they imagine, cause you see TV <laughs> shows and stuff when they uh, burn bodies from back in the day
4: mm.
3: and they, they, in the movies and stuff, they make this little cute little pyre and then they burn it and it, you know, oh man, no. That is not <laughs> how it works. Like you need a house size thing to burn a body down with it. it it's you are going to burn and burn. And this is just plant material. There's no bone in there. Nothing yeah. super dense. And you're going to all day just be sitting there turning it, grinding it, turning it. And the first thing that's going to happen when you put this heat to it is it's going to go from like a green, purple, orange, it's cannabis. So it's very colorful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, it's all going to just turn black. And this is the activating of the carbon. So the carbon belonged to this earth. And this carbon is part of what held you in this earth but now it's going to go back to the earth and it's starting to come out of the plant. So it all turns black. And uh, this is the nigradal process or the blackening um, when young talks about it, but young goes through the spiritual side. He's a weird dude. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) you're going to keep doing this and burning it. And uh, when you're looking at the stages of alchemy, then they got the, the, reddening and the yellow at the end and they got the white well the white is all the carbons left so basically you're going to keep on doing this and keep on doing this until you're down to a gray white chalky powder Mm -hmm. and that means that all the carbon is evaporated out of this body now so now the carbon is gone the first thing that we removed in this process was the water and the water evaporated back out to the earth the second thing we're going to give back to the earth now is, is this carbon and the carbon is going to get evaporated off until that's all gone. And we're down to this just white powder. Now we're going to take, and we're going to mix that. Also in the alchemical stages, there's the reddening and the yellowing. Well, there's salt inside of this powder, which is what we're really after. And that salt comes together with heat because that's the masculine side. The feminine side, feminine side turns sour with heat. The masculine side comes together. You put the you put a man to fire and he's going to get stronger, you know. That's that's they that's what gives them their strength and keeps them going. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you turn around and it's going to first get red and then Eventually, that pile while you're hitting it with the heat is going to just glow a yellow. And that's the salts fusing together and coming back together. So then you're going to mix that with distilled water. Now, it has to be distilled water because there's, if it's not distilled, there's going to be minerals in it. So minerals are uh, salts. And that's not part of the plant that you're doing this experiment on. So you want to not get other things contaminating the experiment. So you need distilled water. And then on top of that, what you're looking for when you put this water in is this water is going to dissolve the salt. And so you're looking for the solvency power of the water. If you've already got salt in the water, that lowers the solvency ability. Just like when you're making Kool-Aid, the the water can only hold so much Kool-Aid. Yeah, you know, and eventually it'll just keep falling to the bottom and be precipitate. Well, the same thing applies to this. So, right, everybody knows how Kool-Aid works, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so, Only, only the purple Kool-Aid. A, right, right, the, the Jim Jones Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're going to take and mix this with distilled water and make a slurry. And then we're going to take and just pour that through coffee filters. You're going to have to change out the filters a bunch of times. And this is going to take a long time because there's going to be a lot of ash that gets caught up in the coffee filter and really slows this whole thing down. You have to sit there and move the ash away. But you keep filtering it and filtering it until you get down to just clear, nice, what looks to be drinkable water. And then you're going to evaporate off the water. Now, what's going to be left behind is going to be a layer of salt. And you're going to scrape Mm. that up and you're going to collect that. Now we're going to switch back over to this uh, feminine side or the oil side. Now we're going to take, and again, also the alcohol. And depending on what solvent you use, uh, the alcohol is going to evaporate off much faster than the oil because that's much more unstable. I use a, I use a butane, uh, mixture. So this is way more unstable than the mm-hmm. oil is. Um, I, you know, that will actually boil and evaporate at negative 40. So, um, which is the whole point to picking what thing, what things you're you're working with and uh then also whether it leaves anything behind things like that anyways you're going to evaporate off the alcohol preferably in a distiller um pull off the alcohol and now you're just going to be left with your your oil now if you want to get fancy about it you can split this oil then into three different levels because you're going to have the three different layers you're going to have your terpene layer you're going to have your cbd layer and you're going to have your thc layer and the C- the terpene is going to be the most volatile so if you take and turn the heat up just a little bit after the alcohol goes you'll start pulling off terpene and then you turn the heat up a little bit more and you start pulling off cbd and you turn it up a little bit more, you start pulling off THC, which is going to be your most stable, dense oil. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> now that we've got these oils all nice and cleared out, now another interesting thing with the oils was the three levels. Each of the three levels also then subdivides into four. Um, and they do talk about that with THC, THCA, and um thcb things like that so they understand this concept as an alchemist the four levels are then just going to be named after the four elements it's going to be your fire fraction um <clears throat> your water fraction air fraction and earth fraction and the <laughs> earth fraction is going to be the last one to come off it's going to be your most stable and hardest to get off go ahead is that,
1: is that the same with water too
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you got I'm
1: like water you got regular water you got frozen water you got Fire, steam water, and then there's the fourth phase of water too, which is like a gel that they talk about.
3: Yeah, plasma, where it runs into yeah, yeah. its plasma, where it runs into a plasma state. Mm-hmm. See, and then I also have uh, disagreements on uh, the elements, anyways. <laughs> so typically, uh, the way people look at the elements is um, that you got fire and water fire and water meet and make air and then the three of them coagulate somehow and make earth even though mm. there's nothing of earth in any of those elements mm. i don't understand huh? so it, it's kind of stupid um <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's about it but the the tree of life that the kabbalists use and the christians use uh, they're very they're all solar they don't have any recognition for anything underneath the earth level. So this is part of why I'm not your standard at all flat earth, or I believe we live on a carbon plane, mm-hmm. but underneath us, there's other layers and above us, there's other layers. Well, one of those layers is your crystal plane. So if we take and we ins- look and we count earth as zero as the mm-hmm. carbon plane is your zero plane, that's neutral. Yeah. Well, then you've got, water air and fire or plasma so you've got three levels of chaos and more chaotic and more chaotic because mm-hmm. water moving faster becomes air moving yeah. faster becomes plasma like you were talking about earlier where we get yeah. the fourth phase of water where like uh in the my hydrogen machine where it's you you run it through electrolysis it's you, that power break you know Breaks things up again, brings it into a plasma state. So each time it's going faster and faster. Well, underneath this carbon plane, then just like with alchemy, we now have the crystal plane or the salts. And when you look at that, there's three layers of salts either. And that makes 12 salts. And most people can look up that you have your 12 cell salts or, or your cellular salts. Now, what happens with these salts? salts now are giving it structure right so yeah that's completely opposite of becoming more chaotic so when you look at your crystal levels there's your betroidal crystal which is just a isolated pile of crystal fairly pure um but it's not pure enough and isolated enough to have taken on a plutonic solid shape and but it, which then brings you to the next level which is your plutonic solid shape where these molecules are so isolated and so perfect in this crystal that just naturally it makes these perfect formations these perfect shapes now then you take that even another layer and you have a superconductor with a superconductor each molecule is perfectly aligned with each other absolute perfection. So if you take and you put power in on one side, the way a typical conductor works is you put an electron, which I, you know, Lucas and I have a little bit of issue with that word, but whatever, the negative side, the negative ion, the electron, an electron goes in there and then bumps a particle and it just keeps bumping down the line until it falls off out the end where you use it. Now with a superconductor, it's here and it's here at the same time. There's not that transference of any of of uh, time and energy. It's perfect because everything is perfectly aligned, which is more than a more than a uh, uh, plutonic solid. And then the other interesting thing is is that the superconductors uh, operate everything has to be super cold, which is part of the reason that they're so hard to deal with and so hard to use on this plane because it needs to be super cold in order to bring all those molecules perfectly tightly in alignment so as opposed to when you go the other way, it was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. here mm-hmm. it's getting colder and colder and colder now. We have this oil, which is containing the sulfur. We've got this highest level of chaos, and we've got this salt pile. When we do this, what the oil's job is, is to open this salt up. So when we were looking at these levels, why that's useful is the most chaotic oil, the highest level, its job is to then open up the most stable, densest salt. And that's where you get the snake head biting the table, tail, because mm-hmm. when it's zero level, the more stable ones go like this and the more chaotic ones go like this. And when they meet, you got the snake head biting the tail, the orboros, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the most chaotic element is now opening up the most stable element. Well, inside of mm-hmm. that oil, there's this sulfur, this life element, this power element and when that oil of the thc because the oil in itself is clear but there's this yellowishness inside of it
1: just satan
3: <clears throat> just sitting there yeah it no, don't, it don't S- seem Sa- to really do- satan oh satan yeah oh, yes <laughs> um right be uh, because satan? uh the sulfur
1: the sulfur smell and then there's also the the sulfur symbol. Which it looks like mm-hmm. an infinity sign with a crossover lorraine coming out of it. A lot of people will say that that's a, a, a sign of Satan, but in alchemy, it's actually well, a sign Lucifer. of sulfur. Right, uh, Lucifer. Uh, people. Well, well. See, for the most people, well, don't know the difference between Satan and Lucifer.
3: <laughs> well, well, see, that's yeah. Most Christians don't have any understanding of their own cosmology. So when when you even look at the story, Lucifer didn't get thrown down in that fall that mm-hmm. Satan does. Satan's down in the earth, and mm-hmm. Lucifer is up high. He's the shining star that supposedly com- moon. It, it competes with God and all. Right. So yeah, it, it, it's they don't even understand what the hell's going on in their own thing. So even in my own cosmology we have that same polarity because that Mm -hmm. polarity needs to exist right um with with us it's the asir and the vanir versus the Jotun or the ice giants and the asir and vanir are in you know these high upper level in the sky the sun you know the the sun and the moon actually that's the sun and the moon then with us for the asir and the vanir and then they're uh, oppositional to the Jotuns, which uh, which in the our tree of life we then have a squirrel that runs between the two sides and talks shit (laughs) to keep them in opposition yeah yeah so you know it, it it's stepping back and looking at the mechanics of these stories and saying okay well that has to happen that's why this exists that's why with uh angels they had to have demons there has to be this oppositional force and, or, and, and he, you even look at it, the demons descended. They were up there with mm-hmm. the angels, and then they descended. Well, that's cold. It got colder. When hot air gets colder, it sinks. Hot air rises, cold air sinks. So we're talking about the salt side compared to the fire side. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, what's interesting about that is most people, when they think of hell, they think uh, south or like, you know the Southern hemisphere or whatever you want to get into, but it's usually down below. Right. And when you think, uh, uh, cold, you think higher up because like mountaintops have ice on them or whatnot, but what you're actually saying is it's actually the opposite and the hot is at the top and, and the cool is at the bottom.
3: Well, well, see, not, not, now we're getting, now we got to get real funny because that's <laughs> like you just said, that's the way that's the way it works and in my cosmology that's funny thing about that is is that uh, uh muspelheim is to the south and niflheim which is the cold world is to the north um mm-hmm. i wasn't trying to get into that that amount of confusion for everybody no. though i, well, I do even... want to
1: get into that later though but yes
3: but Very when honest. you what 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 causes that is so when you look at creation Mm -hmm. And this is, again, this just triplicate. From a heathen perspective, we had, again, Muspelheim and Niflheim. And Muspelheim is the fire world, and Niflheim is the ice world. Now, uh, life can't exist on either of these. In the fire world, everything burns up. Nothing can take root. Nothing can grow. Um, In -hmm. the ice world, nothing can move, nothing can grow. Everything's completely structured as compared to complete ice. So the third thing that there was 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 Ganunga Gap. And Ganunga Gap is the all-mother as compared to the masculine side of these two worlds, which is the all-father. So the all-mother is immaterial and the all-father is material. This is why all religions are masculine because we live in the material side. We don't live in the immaterial side. We don't. We can't even touch that. But what that did was pull these two worlds together, and that's where life gets created. We have the unstoppable force meeting the um, immovable object, mm-hmm. and what happens when they meet is life. So we're just talking about basic, uh, uh, sacred sacred geometry Mm -hmm. and where the two worlds meet is your vesca pisces now the funny thing when you're looking at that vesca pisces is if i look up what i'm seeing is the top of this circle Mm. not this circle i'm look when you look at it if i'm standing here on this carbon plane and i'm looking up to the top of the dome what i'm the dome is actually coming from this circle the bottom circle and then are where we're the below is actually coming from this top circle.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so what he drew was uh, uh, two circles uh vertically. Uh most people I think when they think of the Vesca Pisces they think of uh two horizontal circles interlocking kind of like the Olympic rings. But this is uh turned around vertically and what he's saying is the cold is on the bottom circle and the hot is on the top circle. But because we live in the middle of the Vesica Pisces and we're looking up, we're seeing the 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 cold dome above us and the hot floor below us because we're still living on the hot plane while looking up at the cold plane. Is that a is that a good?
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's about as best as you can describe that without the picture.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: but yeah, so it's, it's so really we live in an inversion world because we uh, live in this Vesca Piscis. Everything's flipped we upside kind of down, live. right? Everything's <laughs> flipped. So, um, and then it's very interesting. Cause then you look at all the different cosmologies and all the different symbolism. When you're looking at the hanged man, he's always upside down. He always has the one knee crossed, so it makes mm. a little uh, triangle up top, um, which is again the symbol of sulfur. And then that's going yeah. down, and so. Whenever you're talking about this, the same thing when even with the alchemy, where we're completing that is this oil opens up this salt, and then the sulfur goes down into the salt. The negative always draws the positive. Mm -hmm. And so the sulfur goes down into the salt. Uh, The same thing happens when you're looking at electrically, where your electrons go over and then they change the charge of the battery, and that's what draws the ions over and the positive ions are just kind of floating around in this uh electrolytic fluid you know on the positive side is the feminine and it's just kind of wandering around lost and the masculine side's taking a direct route from here to here you know they're no messing around just ch- ch- ch-
4: mm-hmm. one side
3: or the other you know a beeline they don't uh they don't do that whole just floating around in the fluid um but so now that we've we're doing this what we get is uh the fluid opens up this salt and now the salt which was a frozen hard thing now the sulfur which is what you would consider power plasma electricity the sun Mm -hmm. that is able to imbue the salt and enliven the salt which was a frozen thing um Now, we can see the same exact thing with electricity because you can take a a pan of water, a glass pan, and you put a a light bulb and then you put a power on the other side. Power will not transfer through that water. It's actually an insulator. It's not until you throw that salt in there that now it gains electroconductivity. And power will transfer. The sulfur will transfer through the whole system right now. So the entire job to that oil or the fluid part was opening up that salt. And then the sulfur component is electricity, fire, the sun. And now that's going to imbue the salt and enliven it. Now, through the alchemical marriage then is, as an alchemist, you're just going to keep, uh, you're going to put that under a light heat and you're going to let that boil and uh, you're gonna cap it off instead of distilling it and let it boil. And what's going on then is is the alchemical marriage. And when you're done, what's gonna happen is, is you're gonna have a stone, what's called would be called the stone of cannabis. And these three elements, the oil, the sulfur, and the salt are now merged into one thing. And if I put a, it's gonna be hard like a rock or like a stone when it's cold. But now if I put fire to it, or a little bit of heat, it's going to run off like wax or evaporate just like any kind of liquid, even though it's got this salt component in it that before the marriage, if I would have hit the salt with fire, the salt wouldn't have done anything. It just would have started glowing. And then I pull the fire away and it's just like it was before. Mm -hmm. Um, Where the feminine side, the feminine side started out liquid, but then if I would have hit it with fire, it just would have evaporated and left. Now that I've put these two things in a merge, the, it starts out in this masculine form. And if I put heat to it, the whole thing will evaporate out. So we've got a perfect uh, union of the two things. And now those two sides can't be uh, unlocked anymore. Um, part of the uh, process with that, when you were getting the carbon away from the salt, also there was carbon in the fluid side that needed to be decarbolated out, out of the THC side and out of the CBD. And most of us realize that that's part of what the heat was doing, was knocking that carbon molecule out because it was bonded in there. And when it was bonded in there, that molecule wasn't able to bond with other things because it was nice and stable. Well, once you knock that carbon molecule out of there, now that's an unstable molecule and it wants to bind to something. And when you smoke it just as the THC, that's, you know, like if you just do the dabs or whatever, that's why it's able to bind up to your receptors. And now all of a sudden it's doing something as opposed to when, if you just picked the plant and ate it, it wouldn't actually, it doesn't really do anything for you. And that's because mm. that carbon molecule needs to get knocked out. Well, now here in the alchemical marriage, that is now bonding to the salt and it's becoming one singular molecule. And now if I can take that and I can roll it in dirt, do whatever, I throw it in the distiller and hit it with fire, it's going to evaporate, come back and in my other flask, and it's going to be perfect just like it was before because these components can't be separated anymore. This is what you're talking about with the Phoenix, where now every time if I hit it with fire, it comes back, it's renewed, it's perfect again.
1: Hmm. <clears throat> just like us. Yes, because we're rising from the ashes <clears throat> um, okay, I have a ton of questions for you, but I was actually hoping that you would go into uh because we we're just starting to talk about the high and the low. I know you have kind of this analogy with with uh, the Norse gods too with Odin and uh and mercury and uh, i don't I can't remember what the southern one is, but how how does how does that go again?
3: Absolutely. So then you look when you look at the human body in this situation, because then the human body works just like with uh, the plants and then the universe or the world works just like our human body. Yeah. So when we're looking at the Norse pantheon or the Germanic pantheon, then what you have is we used to have the Aesir and the Vanir wars, and what happens is odin comes in and he merges these two societies so when we look at this what we have is the cerebrum which is we can uh, compare that to the asir well then that's opposed to the cerebellum which bellum means at war and so this is the, all this is is the process of a human developing Um, The brain starts developing. The first thing that develops is the cerebrum. And then you move on to the cerebellum because you need this opposition. Whenever you're looking at things, that zero line, that's dead. Whenever you're even looking at your heart, your heart pumps up above the zero line and down below the zero line. It's always positive and negative, plus one, minus one, plus one, minus one. And that's how life works is this oscillation. And when we were looking at the way that the world was created, that's why there's actually nine worlds and that's different levels of density and whatnot. But mm. then there's also this oscillation back and forth where sometimes we're more dense, sometimes we're more etheric and, and it's always this oscillation that creates life. Um, but so you've got the Asir and the Vanir and Odin comes in. And then Odin is going to be your pineal and your your mercury, your mercurial aspect. And whenever you're looking at mercury, just like we were with the plant, where the oil was actually opening up the salt, so that way the sulfur could get in, mercury is always going to be the messenger. He's going to be the thief. He's going to be commerce, things like that, because things flow through mercury mercury you had your electricity and you had your salt these that's your positive and your negative but that mercury allows them to work together and things to flow until that happened uh until the mercury came there was no flow this is why it's always commerce or theft when you're looking at the theft you're talking about chemical uh interactions you're talking about uh, where like when Mercury's always stealing, he's stealing Apollo's horses and then taking them down to the lower levels and things. That's a biochemical exchange between the sun and the lower levels. So <clears throat> Odin is Mercury. And so he's creating this path, creating this balance. Well, now we've got it up here. Well, now we go down here. Now we go down because we had it here. This is where you get your cross. And you, now so we we're going to go down.
1: We had it in the forehead region. Yeah. And now we're taking it down to the heart? To the, gro- to the groin. All the way to the groin. And it's
3: going to carry all the way down to the groin. Okay. So now now that the Asir and baneer are merged, that is now the macroverse of the brain. That's your Where left and right brain. Opposite, right. okay. Where we had this opposite, right? Where we had a microverse opposition. Now those are put together, and now we've got a macroverse. So, but we still need this opposition. We still need this polarity. So now the brain is going to be in polarity with the groin. And now we're going to have the gods of the Assir and Vanir are one team and the fight and the, the ice giants. Or another team, and they're always fighting the Ice Giants or the Jotuns, and and them are the just the bad guys, and you're not a hundred percent sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Odin himself actually gets along with the Jotuns and it and has numerous interactions with them and and uh, does things with them. But basically, all the other Asir just completely hate the Jotuns and fight with them consistently.
1: Loki's a Jotun, right?
3: Loki is Loki is part Jotun.
1: Yes. Jotun. But
3: so are, yeah, so are, so are the rest. Um, Loki is very different a very different character. Uh, so a lot of people and, and this is where uh, the the Christians started getting really weird with things. So after <laughs> uh, after uh, you have the Assyrian and the Vanir wars and after Odin has went through the alchemical marriage and become the all father himself then you have the Trinity of Loki, Odin and Tor. Now Loki himself, then he is going to be the chaos side, the fire side, the feminine side. So whenever mm-hmm. you look at Loki and whenever you look at the character, that's going to be on that fire chaotic side, they're always going to be kind of beautiful, more feminine than the other ones. So, um, Loki does some things like Loki bears uh, uh, children of his own, gets pregnant with a horse's kid, um, bears children of his own. Uh, he's very chaotic. And, and in the stories themselves, there's actually a story uh, called Lokasana where Tor and Loki go to the giant realm and end up meeting these giants and having a contest. And in this Mm. contest, Loki goes and faces uh, uh, Utgard-Loki. And uh, he has to uh, do this contest of eating trenchers. And Loki eats all the trenchers. And then Utgard-Loki eats the trenchers, the table, literally everything around him in, in the same time period. Because Loki, while he's chaos in this level he's not complete chaos and he faced complete chaos which is the giants that's what we're talking about with the giants is the elements that are more chaotic and more dense than we can deal with um where tor on the other side he ends up wrestling this old woman and this old woman defeats him well it turns out this old woman's time and while tor Mm -hmm. is stability He's he's order, he's stability. What's Tor do? He goes and beats the ice giants. He smacks, a, you know, that's what he does. And all day, every day. Um so, but he's not as stable as time. And time ends up defeating him. Uh mm. so we under start understanding that these now we have our salt element, which is Tor, your your stability. You've got your chaos element, and then you've got Odin in between he's the mercury element that makes all this whole system work and he's the all father of it
1: yeah uh we were talking about uh your body being split in half your your acer brain and your groin i think we might have got off path there can we can we get back to that (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah see well when you're looking at that then is you get uh tor would actually then be the groin um loki would be your brain it always ends up working because as an alchemist as above so below and then odin would again right. be the in between when you're looking at the macro then okay you've got the Asir seer vanir which because we got off on it because you said well loki's part yeah, Nodin, yeah. right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um <laughs> which you know that that's that that whole thing is entirely funny anyways the the whole story because the very first giant is ymir because after the fire world and the ice world collide then you've got ymir the the masculine ice side he can't move and then a dumbla and a dumbla is the great feminine cow and a dumbla comes and licks ymir free from the ice and then you have this character burry who appears and he's the first of the Aesir, but he's also kind of a giant, but then Odin, and Bay, when they're eventually born, slay Ymir, which the blood of Ymir slaying drowns out all the other giants, except for two in Buri. Buri just kind of disappears out of the story. And, uh, uh, Tolkien based all his stories off of uh, Norse cosmology Mm -hmm. and, uh, then Odin, Vili, and Ve slay Ymir and use that to make this world. Mm-hmm. And uh, which, again, Odin, Vili, and Ve, we have the three levels, right? Sounds like the flood now,
1: story, too, doesn't it?
3: Yep. Yep, exactly. It is. And uh, <laughs> and then during the Ragnarok, there's also a flood because then we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, they uh, slay Ymir and use his body parts to make the world. Um, it's always, it always keeps moving into these levels of three, always into that because that's the way things always have to work, you know, as above, so below, even when you're talking about when you separate the levels, we talked about then the oil level all by itself still had THC, CBD, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, terpene. So we still had that same setup once again. Uh, no matter which level we're talking about, and then inside the levels, then there's four levels inside of each, which is why you get 12 cell salts, you get 12 oils and them 12 oils or the Asir side, then have to match the 12 cell salts or the van or the Jotin side, And <clears throat> the Odin or the oil in between is what's causing that in between action. Mm-hmm. And, that's why he's the messenger. He's the, okay. the the commerce because he's the one that's letting this energetic exchange happen between the top and the mm. bottom, so, where oh, we need to have. Go ahead.
1: Gotcha. Odin's to the Mercury, then. Yes. Odin's the middle. What's which one? Which god represents the high side?
3: Um, when you're talking about in the Odin or Odin, uh, Thor, Loki trilogy then it would be uh. loki would be the high side and tor would be the low side and then when you're looking at the entire macro verse the asir vanir would be the high side odin's the mercury still and the Jotuns would be the low side and okay. so you're always talking about the your negative side your low side your cold side as opposed to your hot side or your positive side and yeah. <clears throat> electrically what we understand then is is odin is basically you've got your uh, you've got your positive pole and you've got your negative pole and then you've got this electrolytic fluid which again whenever every time we mention that mercury that mercurial figure it's always a fluid figure and that is going to allow the transfer of power from one side to the other side an exchange, a message, a commerce. Uh, go ahead.
1: Gender fluidity, too. Yeah,
3: that is also why that figure is typically androgynous. Uh, androgynous is uh, depicted as androgynous, yeah. and while Odin himself isn't depicted as an androgynous, he does perform masculine and feminine magics, mm. and uh, yep, and can shapeshift. Um, he, he is the actually gets, uh, taken out, uh, as King of the gods for a while, um, because of Scyther, um, performing feminine magic. So <clears throat> anytime you're looking at that mercurial figure. Yeah. And, and that's where the androgynous comes from is this understanding that it's not really the, the high side, nor the low side. Mercury is what's making that transition behind between the two things possible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's not really, and then also when you're looking at the original story of creation, the all-mother is what brought the two worlds together. So that was when there was an immaterial and a material. Now that we're just talking about the material side. What's bringing those two worlds together is the Mercury. So the Mercury is doing the same action as the All-Mother. Now, whenever you're looking at the All-Mother in any of these different cosmologies, the All-Mother always then ends up having two names where she's the creator and the destroyer because she took these two worlds and smashed them together. That's right. And Shiva always has two names as opposed to the masculine components have one name yeah. because that feminine side's doing two actions the masculine side split and so we've got a positive and a negative the feminine side is just one thing she's just doing but she's doing two actions even though she's in and of herself one thing in whole so now that we've went into the into the microverse of just material Mercury is what's doing that action is what's making, um, go ahead and just kill the generator. We've got enough power. Um, mercury, uh, is again, the feminine brought the two worlds, the ice world or the salt or the crystal and the fire world or your, uh, your sulfur, your electricity, Mm -hmm. the mercury, the feminine brought these two things together. Now Mercury is bringing them together. So the action that he's doing is the same action as the all mother, which again is why he has that feminine bent to him and Mm -hmm. is androgynous because we're looking at the mechanics of the situation. And from a mechanical aspect, he's doing the same thing as the feminine.
1: All right. Uh, Excellent. Before we get into the macro part, uh, I, I just wanted to go over some, some questions that I had, or maybe some insights, uh, in into this, uh, uh, where did alchemy originate at? Is there original, is there an origin story of alchemy or, uh, from, from your perspective, it probably started in the North.
3: Um, that we don't really have a origin story for alchemy we have very limited stories uh you can pick the alchemy out of the stories from having known alchemy mm-hmm. but the words alchemy come out of uh egypt which is your uh el Kemet. Kemet. um
1: yeah
3: yeah so that that's coming that actual word is coming out of egypt but you can absolutely tell that anywhere that plant medicine was practiced, they were practicing these same things. Um, okay. When we go through the process that we talked about earlier yeah, and put the plant through the alchemical process, what's going on now is the plant, if you were just to eat it. Your body is going to go through all these processes in order to make this usable and in order to put these, the salt and the oil together. So many people realize that when you just boil like your vegetables and then throw away the water that you're getting no mineral, that you're getting no food Mm. out of that. All your nutrients is gone. Well, the nutrients isn't actually gone. The nutrients or the salts are still in the food. You've boiled all the oil out into a tea and now you dump that into the sink, and now that oil can't unlock the salt, and now you can't use it. So the Mm. salt's still there. It's an alchemical understanding. I
1: always thought of so sorry, go ahead.
3: Go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: I always thought of cooking as alchemy.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. You can, uh, especially when you take a recipe and like, you've got to go through an entire Mm -hmm. process. And, um, and then when you're done with the process, you have an entirely different thing. And yeah, it's very interesting, but,
1: uh, (laughs) um, and you had mentioned, uh, corn, uh, what was, uh, i just wrote notes so it's hard for me to remember but it was something about corn in the cold or they either use a corn base or a, a wine base right to do this reduction and how would oh, they yeah yeah how would they have used corn or wine in the north if it's cold uh because they didn't have corn there or or grapes well
3: we we had we had corn and, oh, and then yeah. we have grapes they just aren't uh And then also, um, when you're talking about what we're just talking about when we're talking about that is, is, uh, (coughs) what produces the most alcohol.
1: Oh, okay. Um, So there's other other things that they could have used.
3: Oh, literally everything produces alcohol. Anything that's got sugar in it, Mm -hmm. um, or starches is going to produce an alcohol. I mean, you got Russians over there making vodka potatoes (laughs) and, you know, um, right now i'm uh right now i've got going uh about a dozen different meads that uh, a friend of mine will sent me a bunch of different exotic peppers mm-hmm. and uh, i took and put them all into it and, and the heathens were well known for having mead yeah um and if you start well? to, yep oh yeah exactly you're taking uh food that And now it requires no refrigeration, uh, no refrigeration whatsoever. Um, And you can keep it for, actually, it tastes better a couple of years later. Uh, So there, that anywhere where plant uh, people were working with plants, alchemy was being performed. These people understood fermentation. They understood uh, making alcohol, What's the fermentation process doing? It's knocking out the carbon uh, while you're fermenting mm-hmm. it. You put on a carbon lock and all that carbon comes screaming out. Well, what did we just talk about with the carbon? Now that the yeah. carbon molecule is gone, now all of a sudden the oil's opened up and now we've got more nutrition available because that oil is bioavailable to open up the salt and now the salt can be bioavailable to you.
1: Mm-hmm. I think of um, baking, baking bread also. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a that's a big process for people to uh, figure it out back then, and it was one of the like staple things that they had was bread, that they you know that didn't really come from uh, an animal or a plant just naturally. Like you can grab a carrot out of the ground and eat it, but like to have to mix stuff together and make bread, that's a very interesting process to just fuck around with and figure out. (laughs)
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Uh, And and that's using the life of, of the plant. And it's also very interesting because you don't actually need to add yeast to, you know, most people do in order to speed the process up, mm. but all life has the seeds for its own destruction inside of it. Um. So anytime you look at anything alive and you put it in these, uh, conditions, that yeast will come screaming out and break down the life that was there and start converting it into other things um so no matter what it is good or evil the life forever the if it's alive the seeds for its own destruction are are living inside of it, it it's very interesting interesting
1: yeah um, my next question was uh spirit how do you extract the spirit
3: um now uh, so a lot of your classic alchemists, and a lot of the when a lot of people talk about it, they talk about the spirit as the actual alcohol mm-hmm. of the plant, right? And so then you got to put the plant through the fermentation process to to get that. Um, when you're talking about getting the alcohol in and of itself of a plant, and the fermentation process, you just break the plant down, and again, uh, and you put it in water. Um, you lock it away from air because the fermentation process is an anaerobic process, which means yeah. without oxygen. Um, if you get oxygen in there, you're going to end up getting some mold, and you don't want that. So you end up putting it in an airlock situation. But then, as this uh, plant matter breaks down, as the life is leaving it, the life doesn't leave it, it starts converting into other life. And that conversion, uh, is produced. The byproduct of that is the alcohol. Now, a lot of people end up calling that the spirit. Now, from my perspective, I'm, I'm an autodidact, I'm an autodidact didactic as an alchemist. <laughs> um, and, and from my perspective, the oil, the THC, the CBD and the terpenes, they're clear. And I have a really, really nice lab and I do this a lot. Um, the oils themselves are clear. You can actually get that sulfur component out of the oil. Um, so to me, the, the THC, the CBD, the, the terpenes, that would be the spirit. And then the sulfur is this, uh, electrical live component Mm -hmm. that you really almost can't grasp, you know, it's in there. And the funny thing is, is as the plant you over here shitting, (laughs) Oh
1: he's talking um, to me.
3: Right? No, that's time <laughs> my dog. <laughs> One of the dogs. Um
1: I have a constipated face.
3: So uh <laughs> when uh, you look at this oil, if you've dealt with enough plant oil, and like I said, it starts out with this nice yellowish tinge inside of it, it's really very pretty. Um that will degrade to like a reddish and then a blackish and then the whole thing loses its potency um so in my opinion and this is opposed to quite a few of your classical alchemy works that you're going to read to me the uh, spirit of it uh was uh the oil and then the uh mm. sulfur is inside of that and that's what you imbue it with cuz i i don't use the alcohol again after i use it to pull away the spirit so if anything, you could maybe call the alcohol dirty mercury or the negative side of mercury. And then the oil in and of itself would be the positive side of the mercury.
1: Well, that's maybe. interesting because they use uh, oils to like anoint uh, people in uh, in religions, you know, in Christianity or whatever. Yeah. They use the oil for anointing. And they usually rub it on the forehead where your uh, pineal gland is. Um Roman had a question and it was uh mercury is antimony. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't.
3: Does he, He's talking about the actual metal mercury in and of itself.
1: Uh, it's there's a, there's a chemical element called antimony antimony. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, so
3: that's, so when we're talking about Mercury, the, things get very interesting with it. Um, so there's a, <laughs> when you're when I'm saying Mercury, I I don't really mean the metal Mercury. Okay. When they when they named the metal Mercury Mercury, it really caused a whole horrible amount of confusion. Oh but that's the very metal interesting. Mercury. But the metal mercury does do the same thing as the mercury or mercurial action is. Mm. So when you look at the metal mercury, the metal mercury amalgamates gold or silver and then allows the energy of that to be passed on to other things. Like uh, type in uh, sometime mercury three healing and mm. you can see a bunch of the Vedic's where they'll take and you can't really get the medicine out of the gold in and of itself. So they imbue the gold into the mercury and then through the mercury, they pull the power of the gold out of the out of it. Because, again, mercury is that messenger, the way the
0: gold
3: and comes and from literally. The sun. Well, the sun, the sun is gold. Yes, yes. And Mercury, when you're talking about the story, the macroverse of Mercury, Mm -hmm. Mercury is what's allowing that energy of the sun to become usable for us. Even when you just take the metal of Mercury and you put it like at the front of an antenna, now all of a sudden the antenna is going to catch signal where it was not catching any kind of signal before. Well, what's the Mercury doing is, is it's grabbing onto that signal and allowing it to be used it's uh, uh rectifying it and so mercury is always rectifying that's why when you look at the bottom of the hermes staff it's a larger it's a sine wave that's getting smaller and mm. that's rectifying that sine wave and so mercury's rectifying the energy for us to
1: use um so do you believe like with mercury staff that the snakes are a representation of energies
3: Uh, the snakes then are going to be the uh, salt bridge Uh so mercury is the cross in and of itself the cross is mercury the path that's the path of the original energy then uh the sun is your sulfur element the round spot on the top the disc on the top Mm -hmm. and then the intertwining snakes that's going to be your uh, salt bridge and that's then they go back up and each of them bite onto the one side because that's the energy flow of negative to positive, negative to positive. Uh-huh. And then again, with inside that path, with the, os- with the sine wave, you also see the I- oscillation of negative to positive with that.
1: Interesting. <clears throat> um, this is going to yeah. sound like a, a, a weird question because I don't know what I'm talking about, but um, is salt a, Byproduct of alchemy? Uh, so the reason why I asked this question is because of uh like Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh there not didn't used to be a, a lake there, but then all of a sudden there was, and now it's dried up. And so now we have a, a salt bed. And I was curious if maybe they were doing something mm-hmm. there that was causing all of this salt to appear.
3: Well, we're, let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and switch up to uh, what, my opinion, what uh, my opinion of the macroverse of the universe and how that works then is. So okay. uh, when you're looking at the sun and the moon, what we have is, is a galvanic battery. Mm-hmm. Now, the sun and the moon are going to be the electrodes currently. And then the other luminaries are going to be the plates in between. Now, when alchemically, when we're looking at it, sun is gold. The moon is silver. Then Mars is iron. Venus is copper. Uh, Jupiter's tin. Saturn's lead. Um, Uranus is aluminum.
1: Mars is so not aluminum.
3: <laughs> right. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is, is, uh, uh, I wouldn't even necessarily just say, I would say it's also, uh, I would say Uranus is uranium myself. Oh. Um, and yeah. in my opinion, uh, aluminum's like a depleted uranium. And when you look at oh. uh, uranium reactors, whenever you look at r- uranium reactors, it's a, a aluminum, a uranium aluminum reactor. So, um, and I think that's just a little weird thing that they hide for some reason. But yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting. So anyways, what we have is a galvanic battery. And what we have is is an order of uh, stability on how these uh, metals are going to break down. And lead is the most anodic and easiest to break down. Gold is the most cathodic and the hardest to break down. Mm -hmm. so what we have is is we're now we're in that asir vanir situation where the asir or the moon or the sun side and the vanir or the moon side now the moon side the masculine side always has to which that's another thing the moon being masculine and the sun being feminine and it's only with the Mm -hmm. christians coming in that that really got switched around if you look at old cosmologies it's always the opposite um But the moon needs to be able to degrade. Now, what's going to happen when that silver degrades is is a particle is going to split. And the negative side is going to go down through a bridge and jump over to the cathode. And that's going to change the charge of the cathode, which is... um, basically going to turn into a gestation period. So now that this charge has changed, also an ion is going to rip away um, and start getting carried over to the cathode side. Now, when it gets over to that cathode side, the ion is going to meet back up with the electron that got sent over there, and they're going to fuse into the cathode. And that's going to create another reaction. Now, over on the silver or the moon side, the reaction was driven by oxygen. And so that's a breaking down where this uh, particle split in half. Well, now it's meeting back up over again on the uh, cathode side. And now it's going to be a hydrogen-driven reaction instead of an oxygen-driven reaction. So they're going to fuse together. And so the oxygen and the hydrogen is going to be your mercury on that level and your world level, which again, when I was talking about when you took the plant, that you had to give that back to the earth. Uh, the water was part of the earth. So that's your mercurial level. On the oxygen side, it was doing the negative and ripping away. And now on the hydrogen side, it's it's putting back in. Well, we all know that uh, uh, fission reactions much or uh, a fusion reaction is much stronger than a fission reaction so now that this silver actually when it fuses into this uh, cathode it actually becomes part of the cathode and silver has now become gold and during the fusion uh, uh, portion of this where a transmutation is happening a giant shot of energy is now being released and that's what you're being able to use out of a battery Now, when we're talking about the world level, that's your, you're, we're talking about your morning sun where, um, historically they go in and collect a whole bunch of gold, uh, in the dew, uh, from the morning sun. Um, that's because you're getting that huge shot of energy after this gestation period, uh, where the rest of the day, it's not quite the same. Mm. So now. Along with this, these plates this, and these electrodes, we have this mercurial fluid, uh, which again, on our level, it's your water, your H2O, which is basically everywhere from our oceans, our lakes, and then everything all the way up to the top of the dome, as far as we can see, is literally all these just uh, uh, elect- uh, electrolytic fluid in a gaseous state. Um then if we look underneath this entire system, we have crystals. So that's where we get our salt bridge, our crystal bridge, and that's where the chart the negative side of the charge is happening underneath us and carrying underneath the ground. Where now then the positive side, your plates, are releasing that ions and that power, and <clears throat> everything's flowing through the crystal bridge underneath us. So this brings us to the uh, where you're talking about the salt that's coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when a battery starts wearing away and starts getting all the time, what happens is this sulfation. Mm -hmm. And what that means is is the the crystals that were supposed to be floating in the bottom here. They start binding up up top onto the plates and the the crystals move from the bottom up to the top where they aren't supposed to be. So if we start looking at this, because energy moves works the same, whether it's electricity or magnetism or whatever. Um, when a magnet, when it loses power, we're no longer polarized. We don't have that positive negative polarization. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing's happening with a battery. We had the negative in the salt and the positive up in these plates. Well, the salt's now meeting the plate and merging so it's a it's a direct short, and it's an it's an energetic short. Um, we don't have the polarization anymore that gives us power. Uh, so that's called sulfation. Now, when we're looking at this world battery, as the the anode wears away and the cathode gets bigger, and this sulfation starts happening. So then we look at the old myths, and we have an event that always happens, uh, depending on what your culture is. In mine, it's called Ragnarok. Now, mm-hmm. with Ragnarok, Surt and the fire giants come down, and the all the planets or luminaries line up, and Surt and drives his fiery sword through all the planets. And him and his fire giants ride through and burn everything to ash. And then this meets the, the uh, ice giant army from Niflheim and they're riding up on the uh, Nagel ship and where the fire and the ice meet first, it burns everything to ash. Well, then again comes the flood because then it meets Mm -hmm. the ice and the ice turns to water, floods everything out. And uh, in the mud, which would have been your burnt up ash and all that. And where the water washes away in the mud, now life starts appearing again. And uh, the world always comes back and it's extremely green and fertile. And there's fruits and fruits and grains that no human sowed. And life just starts appearing again out of the mud. Um, And it's always giant life. So what we have is a recharge of the system. Hmm. Now, so what we're talking about in that case, then instead of a galvanic uh, action, now we're talking about an electrolysis action where we have to actually take and put power into the system. A, a hard charge has to come into the system. And when that hard charge happens and knocks them salt crystals free and it desulfates and we repolarize the system and now we're good to go and we can go back into this other setup now the very f- interesting thing about electrolysis which doesn't uh, elect a giant uh, bolt a giant bunch of power you know a- a cert driving his fiery sword through everything you know that's it's majestic isn't it uh, <laughs> now the the fun thing t- with uh, electrolysis is so then i'm sitting here And at the very beginning of this, you, you asked, uh, before we were on air asked about Tartaria and that comes with the mud floods and everything Mm -hmm. else. And I got to, and I got to be honest, anytime anybody had ever asked me about this, uh, before two weeks ago, I kind of gave them the dank, the blank dead look and just went, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah. know. (laughs) uh, Uh, The liquefaction thing is very interesting and I think it's probably happened in tiny little areas to one or two buildings, but that does in no way explains entire cities dropping, you know, eight, 10 feet and none of the entire swaths of buildings, not tilting, nothing. It it doesn't make any sense in any way, shape or form. Mm. So I've never really been about it. Um, And Definitely, I I agree that there's been higher civilizations and that could have could have left, but I had no idea why. Well, then I'm uh, talking with Chance Garton on Interverse, and uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about this uh, Brown's gas machine, which is doing mm-hmm. electrolysis consistently. And the one of the interesting things about that electrolysis process is that uh, uh, George Weissman, the guy who invented this machine. Uh, the maker of the machine, after uh, throughout the course of three years, he started cleaning out because you've got to clean out the fluid every now and then. Mm -hmm. Now you don't add any more salt to the fluid, which is one of the first things that people think is that you're adding salt, but you don't. Um, What only reason you're cleaning it out is you just pour it into a glass jar and you're letting some precipitate of this metal sludge fall out and you just pour the fluid suck the fluid back up and put it right back into the machine Mm -hmm. the only thing you ever add to the machine is distilled water and then electricity um to make the electrolysis process Uh, so this metal sludge that is appearing well you assume that the that the electrodes are breaking down and that's what this uh metal sludge is only after a three-year period uh he weighed up the sludge that he'd collected and it was 19 pounds of sludge. And then he weighed the electrodes and the plates and they still weighed the same as when he had started the whole experiment. There was no loss in the electrodes, but this sludge that matches the, the metal of the plates just appears in this fluid. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So pretty fricking amazing. So every time. weird. We have this giant electrolysis process, this magic sludge, which we live above the salt bridge below the plates. Mm-hmm. We live right where the fucking sludge would appear every time. Mm. And so every time we have this Ragnarok event, we would have magic sludge that would just appear just like I said, nobody's got any reasonable explanation. I think I got an explanation or an, at least a theory for what's going on here, but uh, nobody's got any kind of uh, real explanation for that in any way, shape, or form. It's just magic sludge. <laughs> you know, th- mm-hmm. there's no other thing wearing away <laughs> to make this appear. Uh, yeah. So every time this electrolysis or Ragnarok event happens, this sludge would appear. Well, then also, what would happen? is we're talking about a hard electrical charge. It's not gonna, it's not gonna affect the stone buildings. It's not gonna deteriorate them, Mm -hmm. but any organic life in the area is gonna get turned to goo. You're gonna be, you're gonna get turned to nothing. So these advanced cities, if this electrolysis event happens, are just gonna basically turn to dust. Any, anything alive in them is gonna be gone. And literally you could walk in and nobody would be there. And there would be this magic layer of sludge. Well, the reason that they put cities where they do, we all know this, that they're on the crystal ley lines Mm -hmm. where the, where the energy points of the under earth are Mm -hmm. in the crystal ley lines. See, we all understand these elements and we just never put them together. Yeah. Now, what is the those energy points they would be where the most negative energy is in the crystal bridge mm. and so when this hard discharge happens where's all the power going to go it's going to go to those points <laughs> mm. and the so literally anybody that's kind of living away from those points is probably has the best chance of survival and you're going to have people coming in out of the country going weird <laughs> Where the hell is everybody? <laughs> you know? Okay. It's because most most of the energy is gonna get directed into those ley line points. Um oh, what I awesome. think happened right, right. Especially for those of us living in the country. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I think ha- is happening with the magic sludge, we've got to go back to the transmutation that happened in the battery. Yeah. When the battery, when that negative side broke off and went through that wire or that bridge and went over to the positive side, it drew that positive side to it on the other side. But that's not going to be a particularly perfect system. And on top of that, we're putting in extra electricity. So I think the electricity is adding to the negative. And then basically, that's sitting in this salt bridge. It's trying to pull these positive ions to it, that negative side. And we know that the conductors have slippage. That slippage happens in heat, in radiation. That is literally negative energy slipping out of its bounds. Well, what wants that negative energy wants to meet back up with its positive side. And we've got the whole thing full of electrolytic fluid, which is going to be your mercurial solution. So mm-hmm. I think it's literally just taking and changing, programming the negative side because it's sending it through those plates, which is programming it. So now it's just grabbing three positive ions and those are merging inside the water and it, all of a sudden magic particles are just appearing. Because, it, and that's one of the most interesting thing things about this, is we understand when the electron or the negative side split off, we can't really see that. We can't really deal with that. We, our senses don't register it. When the ion side split off, our senses don't really register that. As soon as those two things went back together, all of a sudden our senses register it, and it's a real boy. You know, <laughs> we're like, oh, that's a real thing it was always a real thing but it hadn't went through that alchemical marriage of the positive and negative going mm. back together and merging in the in the mercurial fluid so once it does that now all of a sudden this thing is material well we understand that it was always real so now we also understand that these positive beings or the asir and the vanir they're just a positive side an ion type being mm. the 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 your Jotun's would be an electron type B. And we can't really register either side through our normal senses. We can't on this level because we're this material level where those two things have come together. we which, again, brings us back to the Vesca Pisces. We're not really just this side. We're not just this side. We're this mix of the two things.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting, man. I didn't I had no idea that question was going to go there. Uh, that's fucking awesome. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I I thought I was going to be like, you dummy. No salt's not a byproduct. Um, uh, as far as like the salt bridge, you keep on referencing the salt bridge. Does that have any, uh, correspondence to the bifrost bridge?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which again, you can look at the uh, snakes that are going up the negative side going up and grabbing on to that sun side and you're talking about just the energy in between well that energy needs to have a a channel Mm -hmm. in order for these things to all be linked and that channel is set up through the salt again the the water uh and the electricity didn't do anything until we threw that salt in there now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we have electroconductivity all of a sudden bam this whole system can flow so so if we looked at it again when we look, go back to the, Mer, the mercury staff his staff itself would have been the water the electricity would have been the the sun part and until we threw those two snakes in there until we threw the salt side in there nothing actually happened we had to set up that voltage that yeah. path for the for the electricity to be able to flow down um, even when you're looking at the breakdown of the battery, that negative side goes over, flows, and now that positive gets drawn by the negative. It's setting the path for the positive and doing the drawing from it.
1: Right. Uh, this is going to be a little bit off off topic, I guess, but uh, in, in Norse mythology, they have a realm called uh, Nephilim, and in Christian Nikolai- mythology, nephilheim but in christian mythology they have these giants called nephilim do you think there's any uh correspondence or similarities or between the two
3: it's an interesting question never been asked such (laughs) thing before um it's interesting and and I, I do see where you're going with that
1: with the giant so Niflheim, the giants and stuff yeah
3: yeah well and Niflheim would be where the ice giants come from so that's very uh that's very interesting also uh Jotunheim is the the land that we typically in our realm so Niflheim is there but typically Niflheim's like too too dense for us to deal with we don't really deal with Niflheim mm-hmm. when we're taught when when in the stories, typically, we only go to the Jotunheim level because Niflheim's just like, that's that's where the army of them come marching out to come destroy the earth, which mm-hmm. given the Neph- given what the Nephilim, but I'm not familiar enough with. Uh,
1: well, what it says is uh, like uh, the Satanist figure came down and had sex with mortal women and created Nephilim. Uh, nephilim uh so is, is that kind of more of like an alchemical romance thing too that's
3: very interesting that's very interesting uh well and then
1: we can we can go to something else and you can ponder that for a while or you can come back on the show and see yeah yeah <laughs> no I, any. I will ponder that <laughs> i
3: will ponder that um yeah i don't have an immediate answer for you on that because i'm just not uh familiar enough with those stories uh yeah that's fine you can imagine you can imagine i mean i'm i've I've got a quite a bit of familiarity with it but that sounds very uh i'm I'm gonna have to go look at the book of enoch it sounds like to get a decent answer for that most like
1: okay and then um i was curious about the polar caps and also, Roman was also, and so this is going to be kind of a two-part question, but you could probably answer it all at one time. Uh, basically, what well, what you were saying earlier is the the top is cold and the bottom is hot. Why is there a polar cap at Antarctica and not really any, there's a cap at the top, but it's kind of all broken up in the north. You know what I mean? There's not like a big cold cap um, there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are we living upside down?
3: Well, so (laughs) um, now when.
1: Another stumper. If you
3: start looking at, uh, if you look at, uh, uh, if you look at uh, Bach. Yes. And you understand where he's coming from, where, uh, helsinki is actually uh the north pole right and that's actually the north pole and uh south would actually be anything moving away from that so the way that i don't know if you've ever uh seen that and you understand that you know Our plane, from my perspective, and I'm not trying to push this off on anybody else, from my perspective, Mm -hmm. the plane is fairly, fairly uh, flat. We can't really, I mean, we can go into the upper, more etheric levels. We can get on an airplane, but we can't live there you know mm-hmm. we don't really exist there we can go down into a cave down into the lower levels and keep going down with the crystals but we don't really exist there we exist on this plane mm-hmm. not in the air plane not in the crystal plane we live on the earth plane now so if you take and you call this Helsinki or wherever but mm-hmm. any but it's basically straight down from polaris so yeah. this would be dead north well then Anything that you move, uh, I got to get this in your vision. Mm-hmm. That is not a good enough pen. So, uh, <laughs> so if this is North right here, yeah, then this would be South moving this direction. This would be South. This would be South. Uh, and this would be South.
1: And we have Anywhere, a cross. And most most of those crosses do have a circle node in the middle, also, and that's
3: east yeah. and west. Doing gotcha. this then is east and west. Okay. So, so really, the whole north south idea. Once you'd have to stick with the globe model to even to even make that function, you know, where Antarctica is supposedly a a mass at the top. Um, well, I don't it, really go. For
1: yeah, I was going off Go of your Vesica pisces model, though.
3: hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, and in the Vesica pisces model, which is where, which is basically, again, north would just be here. Mm-hmm. So anything that's moving away is just south. And then anything in the circle, a circumference. So anything when you're going this way is going to be east and west. Anything else is just... So north is just one singular point. Depending on what city you pick, which from a, a box perspective, then that's a Helsinki thing yeah, would yeah. be actually the North Pole and anything that you anytime if you're standing on the North Pole, everything is south. Gotcha. Literally everything is south. You, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, another question I have that's a little off topic is as uh, we talked about the. Uh the symbol of sulfur, which is a crossover lane uh Lorraine with the infinity symbol, uh is could that be Thor's hammer? C- kind of looks like a hammer.
3: Oh yeah, and and, and it's very interesting because then uh Thor, I, I I'm getting ready to do a bunch of, try and look at a bunch of uh resources on Tin's reaction. Um, because mm. that's very, very interesting, right? Cause then Thor uh Thor would be your crystal side uh, and he's, but then you look at it, we all understand how lightning works, that lightning actually starts from the ground mm-hmm. and basically a tunnel goes up into the sky, up into the ether. And then that discharge happens, woof, you know?
1: Oh, um, okay.
3: So we understand that, that uh, the discharge was just an energy build up from the sky and it, it literally is almost like because then you look at thor with his hammer and he's reaching up calling down lightning mm-hmm. you know he's calling yep. down the, the 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 lightning and his hammer would basically be like the uh alchemical lodestone yeah you know the lodestone uh, if you look at if you ever look that up the lodestone is going to draw all the sulfur it's you know mm-hmm. and so his hammer would almost be like the alchemical lodestone
1: Interesting, yeah. Um, actually, so I did say that that poll question was a two-part question, and I forgot to ask Roman's question. <laughs> uh, he ahead. said, uh, "Interesting, the search and conquest of power. The poles are guarded, as is the moon. Are we harvesting energy from the moon or the poles?"
3: Well, we're definitely uh, the, the the Antarctica is definitely guarded. That's that's an obvious thing. And Mm -hmm. depending on who you're talking to, if you're talking to the, the, uh, our Antarctica would basically surround us entirely. And that's part of why you can't ever go so far into Antarctica. And we, and we've all seen the conspiracy theories about, uh, Admiral Byrd, things like that, where he talks about, he goes past that wall Mm -hmm. eventually and moves on to a different area. That's very interesting. But the moon itself, the moon in and of itself is uh, cheese. S- draws in, <laughs> yes, it's cheese. Yes, um, it's it's a giant penis. Um, it draws, it, it it does soak in energy Vic and cheese. harvest. Yes, yes, famunda. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. It is some stanky famunda. <laughs> Right. Um the the moon because it's silver particles. Uh funny thing about the silver particles is and and, and most of us know this that silver is uh uh energy sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of why you use uh silver in uh, uh photography equipment, you know, they're using their silver nitrates things like that. Um because it's a uh, photo because it's uh photosensitive and even in uh solar cells your solar panels they use all the same thing because this is able to grab on to this uh radiation that the sun is giving out Mm -hmm.
1: so it's Um, uh, in your opinion you don't think it's like cold fusion uh which the moon yeah so so the moon is
3: silver particles Mm -hmm. and uh and all the, all the luminaries are su- silver are particles, I mean, but just the different metals. So the moon is silver particles. Now, uh, those silver particles are not particularly excited most of the time, but then silver particles really are sensitive to radiation. Mm-hmm. And so when the sun releases that uh, radiation, uh, the moon doesn't reflect the sun's light. What it does is, is it soaks in the sun's radiation. Mm. And when those silver particles soak in that radiation, uh, the radiation will create bonds in between the, in between the particles and the whole thing will end up looking like this big solid mass, even though it's just a bunch of silver particles with energy bonds in between the particles. Yeah. Now, then when, then when that energy leaves the silver particles, it, leaves in a luminescence so it's going to give off its own cold light and what that light is 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 literally just the deterioration of these energy bonds in between the silver particles so the silver particles themselves uh like most like most your silver nitrates like you just look into photography things like that these are uh photosensitive they're light sensitive and they will suck in energy and that's what the moon's doing in order to become a full moon. Um it goes through this process of uh, you can basically equate it to a penis and the the moon is soaking mm-hmm. in this energy that the sun is giving out just like with your uh, proximity of your wife, you know, she gives out that wonderful glow and all of a sudden uh, you're sucking in that energy and uh, you're uh, you got the old morning wood that the sun gave you <laughs> and uh then the moon while it's in that in that solid state is subject to degradation because those fine individual particles are not Hmm. but now that it's this big in this big mass like this it's subject to degradation and when it when that happens it's going to oxidize it releases those electrons and those ions and then that shoots over and the moon basically ejaculates over into the sun (laughs) and impregnates the sun Hmm. and and it's over at the moon so it's like a testicle yes yes well actually uh yes it's in uh uh, (laughs) egyptian uh osiris gets cut into 14 pieces Mm -hmm. and that's the wax the waning moon and then he gets put back together and that's the waxing moon, except mm. for his penis, which Isis keeps and impregnates herself over and over and over again with
1: <laughs> mm. the first dildo. yeah,
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world's Gods first are dildo dildos. was the full moon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then in uh, uh, First Nation, you know, your uh, First Nation cultures up in uh, Canada and whatnot, they used to expose their women would expose their genitals to the full moon in order to ensure uh, pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, you betcha, lots lots of things around the uh, moon being a penis and uh, that kind of acti- activity. Um, yeah, and and the full moon specifically, but um. uh, the, at the moon, this degradation was a fission reaction where the moon had to degrade and and break apart and just like with a man you are degrading in a little bit you're giving some of yourself to the other side yeah Um, and now that now that material passes over it's in the feminine sun side the cathode side that the fusion happens and just like with with your ejaculation, you the fusion happens in the cathode side. And that's a much more energetic reaction than the fission reaction. The fission reaction was small energy. The fusion reaction is giant energy. And so it's over in this side that the, the fusion reaction is happening. Now, it's very interesting because then you see in some of these uh, cosmologies, especially the ancient ones, where they even talk about a time of uh, Saturn being the sun, mm-hmm. and uh, yes, well, now we're in a galvanic time right now, where we're doing this wearing away. Mm. So the power is ending up at the most and or the most cathodic. But if we flip over into an electrolysis process. All of a sudden, the most cathodic piece becomes the most anodic piece. Mm-hmm. And the most anodic piece, which would have been Saturn, becomes the most cathodic piece or the sun. And mm. so what we're talking about is the difference between the Galvinic cycle and the uh, uh, electrolysis process. And so then Saturn would have ended up becoming the sun. And the energy ends up flowing in the other direction until the battery becomes full. Now, once the battery becomes full, we're going to get that three days of dark because the galvanic or the electrolysis process is over. But the chemical, the biochemical uh, galvanic process needs to take a few days in order for everything to kick into gear and get working right. And that's where you're going to get your three days of darkness that always happens Mm -hmm. in all of these different cosmologies and stories uh in my own the original sun and the moon which this would have been a a electrolysis process they were followed by wolves so you can imagine these two electrodes that a bunch of energy is pouring through so the metals breaking apart and flying away it's looking similar to a comet Mm -hmm. is especially it's going to dissipate as it gets further away and it's not going to be so close together won't look like so much of an aura well then the sun and the moon get caught by the wolves and uh, they disappear and three days later they return and no wolves are chasing them well <laughs> this is the difference between the the electrolysis process and the galvanic process
1: sounds um, like jesus
3: right right it's it's in so many of these different stories (laughs) but the christ the christians especially don't really apply that any of that to uh Mm -hmm. uh, the occult because any trying to actually figure out the world is 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 evil and you're (laughs) bad
1: uh so i do i have like three three more weird questions for you um one is, uh, I like to mess with words and do wordplay and stuff like that. You talked about the chemical marriage. Uh, I'm assuming that's the same as chemical romance. I'm going to
3: say that romance is the simple attraction. So, when we, before I put it in that flask and stewed it for a few days at a mild temperature, that's mm-hmm. when the alchemical marriage happened. Before that, the two sides were already Mm. naturally attracted to each other, but they weren't interlocked together, like I talked about having to drop out that carbon molecule so the two things can bind together and make an actual bond. So the romance. Yes, yes, exactly. So that's what I would say is your chemical romance is the two Two pieces are bond are are attracted to each other, but they haven't made the chemical bond
1: yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my my wordplay in there was a uh, romance. Uh, it could be raw mance and necromance. Uh, mm-hmm. What what meaning does? Uh, I, I think I heard you say something about mance, mancy, or something like that in the al- alchemy, alchemical world or the world of magic because i think alchemy is magic what would mance be like the com- combination or the courting so maybe raw mance because like necromance would be somebody that raises something from the dead uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you feel where i'm going with that like i, like, I do i, I don't do. know how I to do. express yeah. it correctly. <laughs>
3: I, I i do it's just like we were talking about with the cerebrum and the cerebellum you right. have to understand it's ba- cerebrum and the other sarah 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 it was brain brain and then it's the bellum that makes it anti yeah in war and the that's what you're Sarah's to princess is. too right right
1: yeah so, so it's like before, basically what be- you're trying to do. below your crown right it's below the crown the princess <laughs> is not quite the queen yep 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 She's below the yep. crown So, your cerebellum,
3: exactly.
1: Oh man, I'm figuring stuff out. Um, the other thing I had that was weird is uh, griffins. Anything weird about griffins?
3: I I just want to say one thing about weird (laughs) is that's actually a heathen word or a a Germanic word, and we have the web of weird, yeah. And weird is uh, the the web of weird is controlled by the three Norns and that's the web of fate, you okay. know, the, the way the world is going to work. That's your yeah. weird. You have your own personal weird, your own it's personal
1: W Y R D though. Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 But, the, but definitely that's where it comes from. And, and, you know, weird <laughs> is, is so, well,
1: I you told know, you I it, had three it, weird questions for you.
3: <laughs> absolutely. But, uh, Griffins, huh? Griffins. So, uh, uh Absolutely. Uh, It's a very prominent
1: uh, thing, and it's supposed to be the flag of Tartaria. And uh, I've been looking into it, and there's a lot of connections with Christianity. There's a lot of connections with uh, Native Americans. There's connections with Norse people. There's connections with Romans. I mean, it's everywhere. So I was just wondering if there's some other uh, symbolism that we're missing here. And maybe alchemy is can explain that.
3: Absolutely. Uh, well, when you look at it, um, when you look at a griffin, you're going to notice immediately that typically it's going to have the body of a lion. Mm-hmm. Now, a lion is usually tied to the sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people, you know, you got your Aries, your sun time. But then also he's he's a lion so it's it's you've got your earthy he's four legged he's earthy um grounded touching the ground uh but with a griffin we've now given that thing its wings mm-hmm. we've taken that uh that salt and we've enlivened it we've given it the ether side the the winged side and so we're looking at an animal that is literally both sides, an alchemical uh, completion of the animal world. We're mm. taking the high side and we're adding it to the low
1: side. This thing is hey, <laughs> you scary
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> turds. They so you're taking so you're ta- you're looking at uh playing with the animal kingdom. And then uh, another interesting thing, as soon as you get, as soon as you're looking inside of this, uh, when you start looking inside of this is how very programmable matter becomes and how you can really do these kind of things as an alchemist. Because when we're looking at the, again, just the simple biochemical exchanges of a battery, literally the metal of the anode becomes the metal of the cathode during the galvanic process. And
1: Can I stop you right there for a second? Because uh, what I saw, too, was it showed that um, the knights would be the ones that would carry this flag uh, because they were, it says they were protected. So when you talk about uh, being uh, wrapped in metal, uh, uh, it's basically a knight is wrapped in metal, too.
3: Oh, absolutely. He is That's very Interesting. That's very interesting, and then and then what was it uh, in uh, Harry Potter? Didn't she have? Uh, wasn't he in Gryffindor? Wasn't yeah. that uh, yeah the the big thing there? Yeah, and then uh, uh it, you it's almost in the uh, Lord of the Rings with them giant eagles. They aren't quite yeah. Griffins, but you know they aren't too damn far either. You know yeah. off either. That's very interesting. Yeah, you've got both. You've got both the highest eagle because they say the eagle is supposed to be the only bird that'll go and 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 fly above a storm. Even okay, yeah. Um,
1: fly that's king highest.
3: of the air. Fly
1: yeah, higher yeah. than an eagle.
3: <laughs> I can't yeah, sing. and they say that that they me either. Um, my that's why I only sing to my dogs, and they highly appreciate it. Or they might all be tone deaf. I'm. I don't know. <laughs> my, my wife likes it when i sing to her she said although the only time i made up a song for her she did not appreciate it at all uh, she uh she it, it's a long story but the short of it is she uh, accidentally uh it, it turned uh one of the gates in a car accident she turned uh, the, the gate going into the farm into what looked like a taco. So mm-hmm. I made this whole taco gate song. I was like, it doesn't <laughs> really work, but it sure looks great. Taco gate. <laughs> she didn't like it.
1: <laughs> uh, can uh, can you do the alchemy thing with other, like, uh, these hybrid-type animals, too? It's just a yes or no question. Maybe I'll ask you the next time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, then, then that ends up coming working its way into homunculi too. Um, you know, cause all you're talking about with the animal kingdom, with the, with the plant kingdom, there really isn't a conscience, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when you've, they do things, but everything that they do is a chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have, if they feel light, they'll go reach for it. Um, if they feel, if something is hurting them, they'll, they'll put out different chemicals it's all just a chemical uh, reaction
4: Mm
3: -hmm. uh where then you move up to the animal kingdom and with the animal kingdom there's it's a much more complicated form of life but it's still not near as complicated as human life where uh like animals only have certain decisions that they're gonna make like they they uh if you put an animal in pain, they're going to react, they're Mm going to, they're going to attack or they're just going to curl up and basically die. It's the only things um, it's the only things that they're going to do. And uh, they aren't going to make elaborate plans. They aren't going to think about it. They aren't going to make choices. Uh, So they do make small choices, but not like a human. So when you're looking at the animal kingdom, then when they're doing all these different things like that uh, they're starting to work with programming matter Mm. and you understand that you are programming matter with the galvanic battery that silver that was the anode became the gold of the cathode that's a transmutation that's a programming of matter Mm -hmm. um and so basically everything every metal inside that uh uh Battery started out from gold and all became gold in the end. So you start, so then you just take that idea higher. And you understand with a griffin, we've got the king of the land and a king of the air. So we're just starting to pro, right? Right. So we're just starting to program matter to try and make it the epitome. You know, I've just taken the king of the earth animals and the king of the air animals and I've made them into one badass animal. (laughs) um right yes and then and then that's where things go sideways though is after that because now we're talking about homunculi and all the horrible stories that go with homunculi and the uh and how very sideways that entire thing can go where you know they want to go so against nature with it that you're having a man you're basically putting a uh you know, you can program the the material, but that doesn't give it life. Mm-hmm. That doesn't give it the spark of life. That doesn't give it the intelligence, the 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 things that make you you your free will,
1: your goes into you. the transhumanist aspect here, huh?
3: Yeah, yeah. Only instead of trying to take humans and turn them into, you know, something else, you're trying to create your own humans. and so then so then the problem then becomes bringing in that free will that spark of life and that's where you get that whole homunculus um ideology where they where a lot of men ended up started going with homunculuses and things like that it's just taking uh understanding again that you can just program matter and just taking it up to a higher and higher level um and I, I just don't think that, uh, you could do it on the human level in any way, shape or form, you know, at the end of the day, we're not the all father, mm-hmm. uh, trying to infuse something with the uh, the spirit of man is entirely a different thing, I think, but on the animal level that, that, that's probably worth playing with. And, uh, oof, there's been some real strange, I mean, look at a platypus, what the <laughs> fuck happened there? Why would that be natural? you know
1: yeah Yeah, i mean yeah there's some weird animals uh so uh i do have one more final question and it's not even eh, it's more of a comparison but uh we talked about the alchemy on the micro level we talked about it on the macro level we talked about these stories in middle earth associated with these two levels do you think, because as above, so below, did these stories play out in theater on the earth? And are these gods real?
3: Now, that's an interesting question. I never get asked either. Like, But uh, I actually believe all of them are real. Okay. Um, I don't think just mine are real. I think all of them are real. Uh, when we're looking at that, uh, again, the electrons are real. And there's they're always underneath there underneath us, and then the the ions are always up there above us, and those mm-hmm. are real too. Um and the idea that a bunch of them that all are bent toward the same purpose that are on the same level and the same vibration that they could get together and become a form. Now, whenever you're when you're looking at the gods, um like tier, uh, you know, uh, all those types—they aren't really a particularly dynamic character. Um, in, in in heathen cosmology, they're more dynamic, I think, than most. But tier—he's he's courage, honor, courage, honor. You know, and then and honestly, a lot of people don't want to look at this. But then on the flip side, he's dishonor because. He's the one who put his hand in and was courageous and honorable and let uh, uh, Fenrir bite his hand off. But Hmm. he did that because they were fucking tricking Fenrir and he had been Fenrir's best friend. And so it's dishonor and honor. Uh, So we're talking about not a dynamic character like a human, where a human you can be all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. You know, I I could make decisions that have nothing to do with honor or dishonor in any way, shape or form. I can be all kinds of different things. I could be a more tier type character a more Loki type character, depending on the day and the time of day. So when we're looking at these gods or demons or giants, like Tor, Tor goes out every day, swings his hammers, hits ice, hits ice giants and then goes home that's what he does you know so we're talking about uh we're talking about something that's isolated now if we're looking at just the ion side or just the electron side and we've got a big mass of these big enough and and solid enough mass of it in order to take on almost a life of its own that life of its own wouldn't be like ours it wouldn't be complex where we're both sides. Tier would only do certain things because he isn't really a human. He's a God, but a God, while he's pure positive power, he doesn't have that negative side. He doesn't have that salt side. So he's a very limited being. You know, like uh, when you look at elementals, nobody okay. expects an elemental to be sp- you know, sit down and play a game of chess with you, you know, elementals do what elementals do. They have one thing.
1: So do you give credence to like interdimensional beings?
3: Now, when you say interdimensional, again, I can't see an ion. Is that in another right. dimension than me? I, it's, it's right here
0: right.
3: And, and I can't see it. And so this whole being could be sitting right here talking communicating and i'm not going to ever tell and if that being somehow now gets body it meets its electron that thing will just appear out of thin air because that's mm. what just like inside of that uh, brown's gas machine where particles just appear out of thin air it didn't an ion and an electron met inside of a uh, mercurial fluid
4: yeah
3: and then it became material Until it was material, I couldn't register it. And so when we're talking about other dimensions, the electron is a lower dimension than me. The ion is a higher dimension than me. They're both existing right here, right now with me. But until they come together, I will never register that. Not to my five senses.
1: And so the reason why I asked uh, kind of that question about the gods, um, interesting you brought up Tyr uh, because in Irish mythology, there's also a god named Lou who also gets his arm chopped off. Also, I see you're wearing a Star Wars shirt. Luke gets his arm chopped off. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, gods getting their arm chopped off or bit off or cut. however they get it cut off. Uh, and they all seem to have something in common with each other too. Uh, yep. Usually, it's either Mars or or the Moon. Um, uh, so, when I was asking that, I was kind of like asking, uh, "Do you think like so? Odin was a real person. Enki was a real person. Zeus actually wandered around on the Earth, or are they just ethereal? And the stories are representing these alchemical processes."
3: Well, I th- I think it's a both. Okay. I think the stories, the part of the reason the stories represent the process is because these beings
1: are living the out the
3: process, but I don't think these beings had really had a choice.
1: So they're living right. um, they're, it's kind of like they're living out the actions in real time on this plane.
3: Yes. In that's seriously. very, very well put. Very okay. well put. And I and I don't think they have that much choice in their actions i i think that it's basically just biochemical exchanges because mm. thor can only do what thor does he doesn't have right. a lot of other it's choices kind of like
1: animals then in in that same aspect yes. where you're talking about they they have certain small actions but they don't really have great consciousness
3: exactly exactly
1: that's really and, interesting and that's <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, and, and while while I say that, understand Tor, you know, that's you're you're talking about insane power. He's gonna mm. have more power than you could imagine. Yeah. But is he gonna use that power to go do something crazy that he's never thought of? No, he's yeah. gonna do what Thor does. <laughs> he's he's got a very, very <laughs> finite set of
1: choices. Yeah, I thought Spider-Man does what Spider-Man does or Spider Pig. Spider Pig <laughs> does what Spider Pig does. <laughs> But Thor does with oh, it was uh
3: it was uh almost nobody remembers this, but uh when I was like I'm gonna say seven, there was a comic book and it was this little skit inside the Spider-Man comic books, and it was Peter Pork or the Spider Ham.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh I think they put it in uh, the the Spider-Man universe one. Have you seen that cartoon one? Oh man, that's, uh-uh. a, that's a brain killer right there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, oh, all right. Well, that's the end of my questions. Uh One more for you. Uh, are you from Minnesota?
3: Uh, I'm from South Dakota about uh, okay. an hour from right out of the border. And I did, uh, I went to high school in Richfield and my first house was in Bloomington. So yeah, I've spent about, uh, in between South Dakota and uh, and Minnesota, most of my life, Oh. you know, okay. I, I live in California now. So my yeah. So my joke is sometimes people ask me how I'm doing, and I'll I'll say uh, feeling or looking California and feeling Minnesota. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, well, because uh, you have such the interest in Vikings too. That's a kind of a Minnesota thing, uh, them being uh, Minnesota Vikings and. A lot of mythology about Vikings in Minnesota and stuff like that. And also, you kind of sound like Jesse Ventura a little bit. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and he is the governor of Minnesota. And, uh, yeah, I voted for him. Yeah, I would have Yeah. Uh, like, so uh... that's it. Uh, do you have any place where the people can find you? Do you do any videos or any talks or just other podcasts or?
3: um yeah i'm on uh i'm regularly i'm on uh crow fairly regularly crow 777 Mm -hmm. um he's got an awesome show uh freeman flies free zone i'm uh, on there quite a bit um was on tinfoil hat i've been on with marty Leeds, uh pat life um i anything that's associated with the bears i love the bear community um but I have my own show over on Rockfin. I haven't. Uh, I'm only about two months in now. Mm. Uh, again, I have my own TV show for a while, but yes, I came, Alchemy, went right? over to Rockfin. Odin's Alchemy, you bet. Yeah, uh, look up Benjamin Rockfin. Balderson or Odin's Alchemy. Um, I do do a little bit on YouTube, but we all know what YouTube's like. Um, they are not friendly. I uh, I like my adult my adult uh, conversations to be free and I get to choose what I get to say. So <laughs> we went over to rock um, Yeah. Excellent. But uh, you bet, you bet. And I, I appreciate you having me on.
1: All right. Yeah. Thanks man for joining us today. Sorry. We couldn't uh, get it together yesterday, but uh, that, that is
3: absolutely just... my, that's my fault entirely on me. And I, and I felt horrible. I think I've only ever oh. had to call off two times in all the time I've been doing shows Uh, My roommate, Steve, from uh, Slow News Day, it was Mm. actually his dog. And uh, it uh, started just violently puking. It actually passed out out on the front porch at one point in time. He was puking so hard and it just fell out. And we were pretty worried about him uh, last night. But uh, he seems all right today. He's a big boy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, we would love to have you back on. Uh, I would even love to go maybe into box saga with you and just talk about that. Um, the more I learn about it, I'm starting to pull after I've heard a few of your different shows, I'm starting to pull some alchemy stuff out of that too. And so I'm wondering Gosh. if just all these stories all have like this alchemy within them and and that's what we're really looking at and that's why i asked you that last final question is if you know these gods are doing theater on the earth uh just because it seems like all these stories have so many similarities with each other and maybe maybe they're just trying to describe one thing and we're just not looking at it right because uh what what you have to realize is uh, i've been looking at box saga surface level and, uh, mm-hmm. when you read the Bible or you read all these other religions, there's three different levels, especially within, within the occult, right? And you talk yeah. about these three different levels because you're, you're, you're talking about the high side, the low side and the mercury in the alchemy. So I'm wondering if there's like this alchemy three-sided thing, plus the triangle in all of these different religions. And if we can extract more than just the surface level, we can extract the deeper meaning and the celestial meaning, as well as what's going on here on this plane. And when you look at it that way and you try to extract things. Fuck.
3: (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. I I love where you're going. Love it. That is exactly perfect. That is exactly perfect. 100%. I'm a hundred percent with you. Awesome. man. And, and again, I don't think these gods, you know, I don't think that they have these, I it, it's a biochemical exchange. They don't really have choices. They, they, mm-hmm. that's, and, and I a hundred percent agree. Alchemy is the, uh, breakdown of nature. You're yeah. looking at nature, breaking it down and, uh, uh, getting those answers and uh that's part of why all these stories are the same because we have one nature and it works one way
1: (laughs) yeah yeah man beautiful uh well thank you very much again and uh we'll see you next time uh thanks fire tribe for listening and remember wake up